The scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. It can be found on page 748 in the Black Bibles. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the banks of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the word sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was th left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Reese and Garrett. And uh, good morning. Welcome. Glad that y'all are here this morning. Um, this is a fun morning to basically join together on a Sunday morning in one service. What is probably happening here, if you haven't thought about it, is that you may be, if you, even if you've been at Christ the King for a really long time, you may be worshiping with people in this service that you haven't worshiped with in many years, you know, since we've had um, multiple services. So uh, enjoy that. We'll put out more chairs next week, um, for sure. And uh, it's, it's just great to, to be with you all this morning. We're still in Daniel, as you can see, because we just read from Daniel chapter 10. And we will be for um, a couple more weeks until we finish this book. And um, we are getting towards the end of, of these visions in Daniel. But let's pray now together and ask the Lord to help us as we look into what he would have us to see in Daniel chapter 10. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that when your people call out to you and pray to you, you hear and you answer and you come and you are present. Father, we do, uh, we, we do earnestly pray this morning that we would catch a vision of the magnificence of the life of prayer 
and the war that you are engaged in in a way that we cannot see and how we can participate in that. And we pray, like our Savior taught us, that your kingdom would in fact come onto this earth as it is in heaven. We ask it in his name. Amen. In a preface to his really short but really wonderful book uh, that he wrote called uh, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote that modern people, and he was writing this in kind of the mid-20th century, so that was what modern meant to him. It's even more so now. But he was saying that modern people had two different but equally dangerous views, generally speaking, or could make two different errors when it came to thinking about the devil, to thinking about the work of Satan in the world. The first error that he pointed to in that preface was to simply deny the existence of the devil, to, to deny his existence completely, and to insist that the Bible's teaching about the devil, Satan, the evil one, he goes by all of those different names, the tempter, you know, in the scriptures is simply a fable, and it's meant to teach broad lessons about good versus evil, light versus darkness, those kinds of things. But late modern people like us, and more so like us than even like him, late modern people know that there's no such creature lurking about as the devil who is lurking behind the scenes trying to destroy the purposes of God. Now, the result of this belief, according to C.S. Lewis and our own sort of the way we see the world, is that this futile human attempt to create um, an existence in life while denying the presence of evil. So every problem for late modernity tends to become something that can be solved uh, sociologically or psychologically or philosophically or economically instead of understanding the real presence of evil and a spiritual force that lies behind that evil. But the second error, C.S. Lewis says, is to see the devil or the evil one lurking behind absolutely everything that goes wrong in the world or in your life. So there is then, in this kind of view of the world, there is a demon for anxiety which must be cast out or a demon for depression that must be released or a cancer demon or my girlfriend broke up with me demon. And I have to tell you that I lived a couple of years of my life this way. When I was in high school, I read this book called This Present Darkness. Anybody read that book, Frank Peretti? Um, very popular book. And I'm telling you, it left me like looking behind bushes and looking around corners and things like that for the, the presence of, uh, of not just evil in the world, but the, the manifestation of Satan behind absolutely everything that could possibly go wrong. And according to C.S. Lewis, this error misplaces our focus. It has us focused on all the wrong things, away from how God would have us live with faithfulness in the ordinary things of life. And faithfulness in the ordinary things of life is what we're called to be and to do, uh, because that is really how we are called to live lives as ambassadors for Christ in this world. So there's a lot that is unclear about the way that spiritual forces rage 
behind the veil, behind the curtain of what we can see, and we will go off the rails very quickly if we spend all of our times trying to figure that out or trying to see that or experience that. But there is one thing that is clear in the Bible, and it is this. Spiritual forces that rage behind the curtain in the world that we can see and in the world that we can experience do exist. This is real. And Daniel teaches us that some of these evil spiritual forces that we cannot see stand behind human agents that we can see and we do experience. And they are at work attempting to destroy God and his purposes in the world. So there's this cosmic battle that is raging between God and the agents that the Apostle Paul calls in the book of Ephesians the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's a quote from Ephesians chapter 6. These forces hate God and they rage against him. And here's the thing. Because one of the ways, and it may actually be safe to say the the primary way, that God accomplishes his purposes of reconciling all things to himself in Jesus Christ is to use his people toward that end, his church, his people, followers of Jesus in the world. These forces rage against you as well. If you are one who places your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the call according to the Apostle Paul and illustrated for us in Daniel 10. I promise I'm coming back to Daniel 10. The call for God's people is to fight against those powers. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6 in terms of putting on spiritual armor. Putting on the armor of God that he gives you by his grace and he calls his people to clothe themselves with it both defensively to withstand the attacks of the evil one but also offensively to go out into the world and to represent Jesus with faithfulness. But see, here's the thing. Daniel too is at war with these powers. And we are afforded in Daniel 10 a rare peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Behind the curtain of the spiritual forces that are at war. And he writes this vision down because he thinks it's important for us to see and to learn from. And it's an encouragement to us. So here's the question. How do you do battle against the cosmic forces of evil that are waging war against God and his purposes behind what you can see and experience. Paul gives in Ephesians 6 an entire list of the armor that God provides for that and it ends with the one thing that is the focus of Daniel chapter 10 and that is prayer. It's prayer. In Ephesians 6.18 Paul gives the followers of Jesus this instruction. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication is a fancy word, just saying asking for things. Uh, Praying for them, praying that God would provide for all the saints, all of God's people. 
And that is exactly what we see in Daniel chapters 9, 10, and 11, really. This passage is very similar to what we saw a couple of weeks ago in Daniel chapter 9. That the vision Daniel receives is an answer to his prayer. Prayer, you see, is a major focus in the book of Daniel. In fact, it's the major human instrument that God uses to intervene in the world. So if it's that important, it's worth spending some time to unpack. Particularly, we see three things in Daniel 10. The posture of prayer, the answer to prayer, and the result of prayer. So first, the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. Here is my supposition to you. The amount of time that we spend in prayer as God's people and also identifying with God's people in the world who are suffering, is directly contingent upon the amount of vision that we have in our hearts for the reality of the spiritual battle that is playing out all around us. That's a long sentence. I'm going to say it again. The amount of time that we spend in prayer, and also the amount of time that we spend identifying with God's people in the world who are suffering, is directly contingent upon the amount of vision that we have in our hearts for the reality of the spiritual battle that is playing out around us. In other words, if we are just super comfortable people and we feel like we have everything that we really need here on earth, as long as our candidate is in office, our stock is going in the right direction, our kids are in the right schools, our social networks are where they need to be, and we're making steady progress on our mortgages, we are lulled to sleep. And we believe that those things are the highest and the strongest realities in the world. But if we understand that God is working toward the redemption of all things in Jesus Christ, and we have eyes to see the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, we will become more like Daniel in verses 2 and 3, where he says, In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Now, before we dive in here, we need to kind of see what's going on. Yet again in Daniel, we have changed rulers. We have changed leaders. We are now at Cyrus, the Persian, uh, who is ruling over that area of the world. Now there's one thing that we know about Cyrus, the Persian, from the Bible that is massively important. It is this. In the first year of the reign of Cyrus, the Persian, he released the Jews from their captivity in Babylon and allowed them to return to Jerusalem. You can read more about that in the Old Testament book of Ezra chapter 1. In other words, this long 70 year forced captivity of God's people who had been taken out of Jerusalem and into Babylon was now over. He had released them to go back in 
to Jerusalem and many of the Jews returned and they began to rebuild the altar and to rebuild the temple and the walls of the city. But after a couple of years, which brings us to our time here in Daniel chapter 10, Cyrus's son, who was ruling on his behalf at that time, stopped all the work in Jerusalem and began again to persecute God's people who had returned there. So Daniel who was still in Babylon, was identifying with the pain and the suffering of his people that had returned to Jerusalem so much that he himself assumed the posture of suffering, fasting, and prayer for a full three weeks. So just to stop for just a second and think about this and how this applies to us here this morning here in Houston. If you think about where history is headed as one who follows Jesus Christ, which is a lot about what Daniel is about, that God wins this battle of good versus evil. He ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. And all of God's people from all places and at all times, from all over the world, people from every tribe and nation and language under heaven are gathered into one you'll realize that the things that we believe in our culture here in Houston that bind us together to other human beings, the things that we believe that we have in common with other human beings are less important and less vital. Because here's the thing, eternity means that we are going to be spending eternal life with people from every tribe and nation and language under heaven. Liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans all bound together by a common confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we live as if that is not true, right? Generally speaking, we tend to forget that. Because we tend to live and believe that it is the things of this world that bind us together with other people. Our race, our ethnicity, our educations, our social standing our neighborhoods, our schools. But the truth is, this is actually the truth, defended from the Bible. Eternally speaking, you have way more in common with someone from the other side of the world who is different from you sociologically in every other way, racially, economically, um, In every other way, except you and that person share a common confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, than you do with your next door neighbor who went to the same high school that you went to, was in the same fraternity or sorority that you were in, works in the same industry that you work in, is a member of the same clubs in Houston that you're a member of, whose children are friends with your children and go to the same school with you, who votes exactly the same way that you do, yet does not believe, does not share that common confession in Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Well, one of the things that this means is that it should spur a recognition in us to identify with the sufferings of our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are suffering the way that 
Daniel identified with his people who had gone back to Jerusalem and were suffering. Have you read about what is happening to people who confess faith in Jesus Christ in places like China, in Southeast Asia where we have missionaries, mission partners, in the Middle East, in Africa? Have you read about the horrors that they are suffering? How do you respond to that? Do you simply say, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with me, and I'm kind of sorry about it, but I'm glad I live in America where that doesn't happen here? Or does it spur you? Does it prick you at your heart to mourn and to suffer and to pray, to deny yourself the way that Daniel did, some pleasure that you might have as a Houstonian in 2019 to identify with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering, and then to pray and pray and pray. Tangibly, this is one of the purposes of fasting in the Bible. Fasting, in, biblically speaking, it can be denying yourself kind of anything for a time, but biblically speaking, fasting is about denying yourself some level of food for some given uh, part of time. It's all over the place in, in, in the Bible, but we don't talk about it very much because, well, it's, it's kind of confusing, and it seems sort of like a, a works-oriented thing, like, a, you know, we don't like, we like grace and we don't like works properly so, and it seems sort of works Oriented. But there are a couple of things about fasting in the Bible that are important spiritually. First, it reminds you that God is the one who provides for you and cares for you. That all of the things that we have, including the toothpaste that you used this morning to brush your teeth, came from God. It reminds you of that. So when you feel hungry, you're prompted to pray and remember God's care for you. But second, fasting prompts you to pray for brothers and sisters around the world who are truly suffering for their confession of faith in Jesus Christ in a way that by God's mercy, you and I are not right now. You identify with them and you're reminded that someone is messing with your family. Someone is messing with your brothers and sisters. They are picking on them in an evil and a wicked way. So you cry out to God on their behalf and pray that God defeats the evil that stands behind that. That's the posture of prayer that is commended to us by Daniel in times of crisis, whether we're experiencing it or our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing it, and they are, and Daniel models it. So that's the posture of prayer. Second, the answer to prayer. One of the great encouragements of Daniel chapter 10 is God's ability and determination to hear and answer prayer. Look at verse 11 where the heavenly being comes and says, O oh Daniel, man greatly loved, I have been sent to you. In verse 12 he says, I have come because of your words. Now this angelic being that is so glorious as to be almost beyond description was the answer to Daniel's prayer. But before we talk about that anymore, we really need to stop for just a second and ask ourselves the question, who is this? Who is this that appears to Daniel? Some people believe, and there's no universally correct answer to this question, but some people believe that what Daniel experiences here is what theologians call a theophany, which is a physical manifestation of God. It happens from time to time in the Bible. 
or maybe more precisely a Christophany, which is a physical manifestation of Christ before the first Christmas, before his actual incarnation. Now, this does make some sense because there are a lot of similarities in the way that Daniel describes this vision in chapter 10 with what Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel chapter 1, which is, in fact, a theophany. But there are a couple of problems with this view. One is that the heavenly being refers to himself as being sent. Now, that could happen with a, with, with, with a, pre, with a visit from the pre-incarnate Jesus because in the Gospels, he talked all the time about being sent by his Father in heaven. But the bigger problem is in verse 13. The reason that Daniel fasted and prayed for three straight weeks was not because God delayed in answering his prayer. The being that stands before him says that as soon as he began praying, he was sent. He was held up. He was, as it were, unavoidably detained, right? He was held up in coming to Daniel. How? Well, verse 13 says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, who is an archangel, another angel, but Michael came to help me. Now, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is not just a human leader. This is a reference to the evil heavenly being that stands behind the human leader. This is a part of that unseen spiritual battle that plays out behind the scenes. But be that as it may, we can't fathom God himself coming to appear to Daniel as an answer to prayer and being withstood by um, a demon so to speak for 21 days so much so that he had to call in for reinforcements another angel to come and help him so what we see here is probably an angel that is sent to Daniel to appear to him to be an answer to his prayer which is a prayer answered and a prayer delayed the first point is paramount God hears and answers prayer we talked about this extensively two weeks ago when we were looking at the first part of chapter 9, but it bears repeating. In Daniel, prayer is pointed to over and over and over and over again as the main human means by which God responds and undertakes his redemptive activity in the world. We don't know why God has chosen to work this way, he could work outside of that if he chose to. Sometimes he does. But he has chosen to ordain prayer, the prayer of God's people, as one of the means that prompts him to respond with activity. And so it's one of the major means through which God accomplishes his purposes in the world. He hears and he answers that prayer. But we also see here a prayer delayed. I want to be careful here because I don't want to communicate something false. And that would be that every time God does not answer your prayer in the way that you pray it, it's because a demon sort of stood in the way and did battle with your prayer. That is not the point. It's not the point. But the point is this. A prayer that is delayed, or even a prayer that is answered in a way that you do not expect or even want it to be answered, is not the same thing. It is not the same thing as a prayer that is ignored. Daniel fasted and prayed for three weeks in solidarity with his people suffering in Jerusalem, begging God to intervene. 
After three weeks, a glorious being appears and tell him, tells him that as soon as he began praying, he was delayed by an evil power that is, was intent on Daniel's prayer not being answered at all. But God did answer. The heavenly being, with Michael's help, did appear. And what's more, we find out at the end of the chapter that as soon as he leaves his time with Daniel, he says he's going to go back and continue waging that war against the prince of Persia. The Lord does hear and does fight on his people's behalf. Prayers that are delayed, that are answered in unexpected ways, are not the same things as prayers that are ignored. Prayer is mysterious. God is sovereign. Sometimes I know you probably pray and you feel like God is close to you. You feel like he's right there. You feel like you are communing with him. You know that he is present, hearing for you, hearing you, caring for you. But sometimes I know that you pray and it feels like it falls just as a thump right on the floor, right in front of you. You walk away wondering if you just wasted your time or maybe you even feel a little bit silly that you just threw some stuff up there that just kind of seems like it's sprinkling all back upon you. But that is not the way that prayer works. God hears and answers in his time, in his sovereignty. God answers prayer. So we see the posture of prayer, the answer of prayer. Finally, we see the result of prayer. We're going to end here. The ultimate result of Daniel's prayer was not simply the presence of the heavenly messenger. It was encouragement and further engagement from Daniel. The message that the angel presents to Daniel is contained in chapter 11, which we'll look at next week, which is a further revelation of what is going to happen at the end, that the Lord Christ will prevail over all of these spiritual forces and that those who trust in him will inherit eternal life and be made sinless and whole. But there's also engagement. You know what I really love about Daniel 10? It's the way that Daniel engages the world. It's unspoken in this text about why Daniel remains in Babylon and does not go back to Jerusalem. It's, it sounds like that Daniel would be the first person on the train back to Jerusalem. He's been longing for that for so long, yet he remains in Babylon. Why? We don't know. Maybe he feels like his work in Babylon is not yet finished. Maybe, and this has got to be a part of it, I would think, because of the age of Daniel we know, he might just be too old to leave. Or it could be a mixture of... Of both of those things. You see there were others. Who left Babylon. And returned to Jerusalem. And got to the physical labor. Of rebuilding that city. They got to the physical labor. Of building those walls. They got to the physical labor. Of rebuilding the temple. And the altar for sacrifice. Daniel didn't do that. He stayed where he was. But he engaged how he could. He engaged through prayer. You know, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by all that is wrong in the world. It's very easy to feel overwhelmed by all that is wrong in your life. Whether they are caused by attacks against you or injustice against you. Or maybe your own internal struggle with sin. And we live right now in a culture that tells you over and over and over again that that's okay. There's no obstacle that you can't overcome. If you just pick yourself up, 
that you can do it. You can overcome any obstacle that is before you. If you work hard enough, you'll overcome anything. And if you don't overcome anything, well, it's just because you didn't work hard enough. It's actually a crushing worldview, to tell you the truth. But it's the worldview that we sit in all the time here in Houston. But it's also not true. It's not true because it does not take into account the full scope of reality that there's a battle that is unseen, raging behind the powers and authorities that can be seen, that you can do absolutely nothing about. And therefore, the thing that we often resort to only as a last resort, when all of our other things have been option, you know, all of our other options have failed us, which is finally to maybe drop down on our knees and to pray, is actually the most important form of engagement that you will uh, you and I will ever have in the world if you feel like the world is too overwhelming and you don't know where to engage or if you feel like maybe your time has passed and it's time for other people to engage Daniel can be an encouragement to you because prayer is our main form of engagement in the world it's not the only one it's not the only thing the Bible teaches but it is our main engagement in the evil and the wickedness and the sin and everything that's wrong and broken in the world, prayer is our major weapon. You know, right after Shannon and I got married, um, her grandparents moved from Georgia to Mississippi where her mom and dad were living and moved in with them. And shortly thereafter, Shannon's grandfather died, but her grandmother lived uh, several more years after the death of her uh, grandfather. She has since passed, but she was alive for a while after that and you know by any kind of silly and stupid human reckoning people would say well kind of her her time for usefulness in the world may have kind of passed her by she was old she had severe scoliosis she was she walked with a major it was like every moment of her waking day was painful Actually, I think every moment of her sleeping day was painful. She was constantly in pain. Um, she was not extraordinarily mobile. But you know what she did? She engaged the world until her last breath. Do you know how? Every single day, you would walk into her room, and she would be sitting in a chair with a Bible in her lap, and she would be reading the scriptures and praying. And she would do that for hours. And do you know what else? Prayers that she was praying, because I was alive then, and I would go talk to her, and I would think, well, this is really cute that you're praying for that prayer, but that is not going to happen. So many of those prayers were answered, and they were big ones, and it's unbelievable. Like relationships that were broken in that family, that it looked like by any human reckoning were just done. I mean, forget it. The sides are too far apart. They're never coming back together. Have since her death been reconciled. She prayed for people in her family that she loved that were walking dangerous paths and were going dangerous ways in their lives who have since settled into lives of stability and production and usefulness. She prayed for one of her own children who was wandering apart from Christ, who before he died from cancer, which was after his, her death, but before he died, did profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Years after her death, she doesn't know any of these things. But she 
engaged in the spiritual battle in the way that she could until she had no more breath or life in her body. And do you know what? God listened to her and heard her and answered her. Do you feel like you have nothing to contribute in this world? Or do you just feel maybe oppositely like, I've got everything to contribute to this world. Nothing's going to stop. I'm going to change the world. You're probably not. You're probably not. But start on your knees. Start on your knees. God hears and he answers and he fights and he wins. Let's pray to him now. Father, we do thank you that when your people call out to you, you answer. We pray, Lord, that you would engage that war against the forces of evil. That you would bring your kingdom and you would hasten that day where there is no more sin or mourning or crying or pain. For those things have passed away forevermore. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.